Tuesday, everybody. This is Intersect Radio, powered by the Intertalk Radio Network. I'm your host, A-Train, broadcasting live from the Intersect studio here in East Nasty. We have a great show for you today with one of my best friends and um, one of the finer voices in all of music. Um, But before I introduce you to him... um, I'd like to give a shout-out to Pitbull Audio and Studio Instrument Rentals, major sponsors of the Intertalk Radio Network, and to all my friends over at Innovative Percussion here in Nashville. Uh, Thanks for the sticks and uh, good Cuban food and the good hang. Love you guys over there. But uh, here we go, folks. Today, drumroll, please. My guest is Brent Bourgeois. How you doing, baby? I'm doing just great. It's nice to hear that you've uh, you finally got employed somewhere. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far to say I'm employed. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am doing I am no, doing right. something else. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. You're in radio. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> not a far not a far stretch from uh music. Uh yeah, yeah, but uh, but it's but great it's to hear fine, your voice. You know? I, I, uh, yeah, it's good to hear your voice, and it's good to hear you doing this. That's, I think you're the yeah. perfect person to have a radio show. Oh, <laughs> wow, thank you. Anyway, yeah. 
Um, you know, every time I hear that intro, Paul does the intro there, you know, you know, I, I kind of giggle because, <laughs> you know, a radio host, it's kind of wacky. But I don't want to talk yeah, about me. Yeah. I want to talk about you, man. Uh, so well, I always like talking you're about over there. And, so uh, let's go. Yeah, that's good. Let's do it. So I just found out like a couple of days ago, Brent Thomas, huh? Yeah, that's cool. Well, yes. you know, I, you were, I, uh, I would say I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm named after St. Thomas, I suppose. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Sounds good, doesn't it? Undoubtedly. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Well, you you got to go back to your wiki page and put that in there. Uh-huh. But um, you were born in, in uh, New Orleans? Yeah. I come from a long line of New Orleanians on both sides of my family. I never knew that. For some yeah, reason, I always thought well, it was you, Texas. I mean, no, the the clue should be the name. Uh, you know, bourgeois. There was like four pages of them in the phone book down there. Four pages of bourgeois. You bet. Along with the Bordeaux and the, you know, all the all those other French type names, nobody pronounces correctly <laughs> or spells correctly sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like my dog Fado, Fado, you know, P H I D E A U X, Fado. Yeah. So, how did you get to Texas, and and when did that transpire? Well, I first uh, I we moved to New Jersey by. when I was a when I was oh. uh, a kid. We I I kind of grew up in Morristown, New Jersey, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, following my dad. My dad was a Kind of a, 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 a business guy who took promotions, which meant moving places. And uh, so he first got a job in New York City, which meant we lived in New Jersey. And then it was like Mad Men. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and then he got a promotion, uh, and we moved to Dallas. Uh, and I was uh, like thirteen or something like that. So I really started playing in bands. You know, about fourteen years old in Dallas. Okay, what what? How did you start playing in bands? Were you had you been playing piano and stuff prior to that? Yeah, somewhere? you know, and, and I yeah, and uh, I was somewhat. Uh, I guess you could call it a prodigy. I mean, I was was really good when I was really young, and um, I played in you know little bands. But then I uh, I, I I answered an ad for a, a real band um, uh, for a keyboard player. And I was 14 years old and, you know, they didn't know that. And, uh, they were like, you know, they were all early twenties and it was like a horn band and a seriously working horn band played mm. Chicago, blood, sweat and tears, all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, the whole nine yards, and they played mm-hmm. every weekend. They, you know, they had, uh, and so I show up for this audition and they're all looking at me, like looking at each other, like, uh, uh, are we going <laughs> to even let this kid audition, you know? And so I guess I played well enough and they were desperate enough that I got the gig. Um, and that just, that was, began my life of debauchery because, uh, you know, I was never really the same after that. Cause I was hanging around with, uh, guys that were a lot older than me and, uh, mm-hmm. trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. And from then on, you know, mm-hmm. playing the clubs and, you know, back then, I don't know if, 
you remember this, but it was a lot easier to play when you were underage in a club, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Than now. I used to it do that myself. I, yeah, I, I did that myself. I'd play, but I couldn't go out in the audience. I had to, during the breaks, I had to stay in the dressing room and drink Coca-Cola. Right, there were certain restrictions that you were supposed to have. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but that you know, it just kind of depended on where you were, whether they mm-hmm. bothered to enforce them. Um, yeah. So you know, that's that was really my start, and then um, from that band, I I actually started my own band um, with Richard Oates, and and it was called the Baked Bears, and Danny Neal and Steve Mitchell, and um, hmm. and that. That sort of turned into Uncle Rainbow. Yeah, I mean okay. it did. And, and how did you mean, how did how did Larry come into the picture? It's Larry Tag. Um, Merle Taggart. Um, yeah. Uh, well, his brother Eric Tag was a keyboard player in in Dallas. They were from Dallas, the Tags. Mm-hmm. And I knew Eric before I knew. Larry, because Larry was off in Colorado playing with another band. And he kind of, he had moved and lived in Colorado by then. And so I didn't really know him, but I knew Eric. And, um, but we knew of Larry. Larry had a really good reputation as a bass player. He just wasn't around. Um, Mm -hmm. So when we, when, when Uncle Rainbow moved to California, we were moved there to, do great things. And one of the first things that happened to us then was the person that sort of moved us there kind of thought we needed a better bass player. And so we all had this idea, why don't we call Larry Tag and see what he's doing? And he agreed. Yeah, he apparently wasn't doing much because he agreed to come out. He drove out in his little spider and uh, joined Uncle Rainbow in the you know, right, right when we first got to uh, Northern California, mm-hmm. and then that's how that's how we, and we 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 realized that we had a, a lot more music in common than anybody else in the band. We we kind of like the same things. Okay. Um, and uh, I didn't know Steve Mitchell was from of, Texas. Yeah, you don't know from that accent. <laughs> no, I always thought he was from Sacramento. You know. Oh, with the, oh boy, he's got, he still has a thick Texas draw. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but uh, Larry and I made a couple of trips to New York on our own. You know, it was right when the new wave punk thing was happening. And, um, we, we got ourselves, you know, we got, we got influenced by that. Not that we wanted to have a punk band, but like talking heads and things like that. We, mm-hmm. we really started to like things like that. And the rest of the band wasn't all that interested. Hmm. Um, Were you guys so, writing original music at this time? Yes, we were. Um, mm-hmm. Although a lot of what we were doing was little John Sanders' music. Um, and uh, that tended towards, you know, very R&B and um, Blue Eyed Soul and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of. 
And but we, you know, yeah, I, I wrote I wrote songs. Richard, Richard, and I wrote songs. Larry wrote songs. Um, and they were all, you know, they were all kind of thrown in the mix. We were kind of a combination of of uh, really interesting covers and original music. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what did you do in New York during that time? Well, we just would go to clubs and um, and you know go you know clubs, museums, art galleries, and we just tried to drink in the scene, and it, we really did. And we um, it was right, you know, right when music was really undergoing a bit, of, quite a bit of change, like and uh, things were getting much harder edged, and um, you know, kind of a rebellion of the disco era. Mm. And uh, so we kind of caught that and tried to bring it back to the to the group. And it how were you guys? You know, how, were you guys I, I, how were you getting back and forth from from Northern California to New York? Well, this well, we just would go. You know, I mean, we would just mm. we would have some kind of break or whatever, and we we took that opportunity. We took it when you know when we could. Uh, we were a very hardworking band. We we used to play five or six okay. nights a week. So I don't right. I don't really know how we did it now that I think about it, but somehow we did. We were playing all the time. Where did you play? Um, well, there was just this whole circuit in Northern Cal in the Bay Area, um, mm-hmm. and then in Sacramento too, um, and Monterey. Like like if you take a a big, you know, circle, draw a circle from. Monterey to through Sacramento and and all the bay the whole Bay Area. I mean, we we just had this very large circuit, and we'd play one night. And this play, we got to the point where <clears throat> we had these different clubs on different nights that we would do. Um, mm. You know, Tuesday night in this place, Wednesday in this place, Thursday night in this place, <clears throat> and then we would, you know, we'd come up and do week long runs in Sacramento and week-long runs in Monterey and week, and then occasionally we go down to a place like San Diego, but, um, hmm. you know, we played all the time and that was back when you played four or five sets a night. Yeah. These young people, they don't understand. No, they don't get it. They do one set and they figure they, you know, yeah. I'm a star. 30 minutes and they're, you know, yeah, they're pooped. <laughs> of course they don't play for anybody. <laughs> unless they sell enough tickets to their friends (laughs) and we used to have to shovel uh, eight feet of snow before we could even get the van (laughs) before we could open the trailer yeah but um um so man i didn't know you guys worked that much did you record as uncle rainbow Yes, I mean, the whole reason that Uncle Rainbow got moved from Dallas to the Bay Area was under the auspices of one of the Doobie brothers that moved us out. He was related by marriage to Richard Oates and hmm. um, thought it, fancied himself as an entrepreneur at that point and um, kind of got in, in, in uh, cahoots with um, somebody who, the, the guy who was managing John Mellencamp at the time, his name was Johnny Cougar. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, and then there was Ian Samwell was in the mix of that too. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we came out 
really came out to get ready, prepared to record an album with this new label. And, um, and we did, I mean, we recorded the, you know, the, the songs, but the album never came out. And, uh, Johnny Cougar's album came out and the rest of that is history. Mm. Um, uh, and then we uh, got involved with Narda Michael Walden. Um, mm-hmm. And he, uh, we did three songs with him. And mm-hmm. he got us a showcase, a serious showcase with Geffen Records. And we almost got signed. That was brand new Geffen Records. And we almost got signed by John Kaladner, famous A&R guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would have, except that, uh, at that moment, he, he had a co A&R head of A&R named Carol Childs, who had to agree with him. She had to sign off on, mm-hmm. they, they had to sign, both sign off on anything they mm-hmm. signed. And so we did this showcase for John Kaladner, uh, at SIR in San Francisco and he loved it. He could just couldn't get enough of it. And then about three weeks later, he brought up Carol Childs, did exactly the same thing, exactly the same place. Um, and she didn't like it at all. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Man. That's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, ironically, you know, when uncle rainbow split up because basically because Larry and I decided to form our own band, we mm-hmm. made some demos and one of the first people that we got those demos to was Carol Childs at Geffen. Wow. And she brought us down for an interview because she really liked it. <laughs> uh, well, Brent, hold on to <laughs> that thought dialed- just a minute. Hold on to that uh, thought just a minute. We're getting ready to go to a commercial break. God. Something okay. we have to do here. You know, well, folks, hang in there. We'll be right back with my guest, the Brent Bourgeois. Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. 
I'm Tim Dolbear, the host of Sound Experience on Intertalk Radio. Each week, I talk with top professional audio engineers, producers, musicians, and the manufacturers that make the tools that we use in the studio each and every day. From capturing the perfect take to mastering your final release and the tools and how the pros use them, we are going to dive deep into their process and learn from their experience. I look forward to you joining us each week on Sound Experience with me, your host, Tim Dolbear. This is Jackie Bertoni from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al DiMiola, Michael McDonald, and Al Jarreau, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be your music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie'sGroove.com. Ready to get your groove on? Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge, with your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Welcome back, folks. That's the voice, music, sound of my guest today, Mr. Brent Bourgeois. Brent, I got to tell you that um, when I was sending music to the to Paul and Florentino at the station, they had a special request for um, "Dare to Fall in Love." <laughs> so, so I sent it to him, but I, I, I think I think there was some licensing things that. Kind of made oh, it impossible. Yeah. You know, it's the I death of us wrong. all. <laughs> licensing. You know, the licensing. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's one. Of, I think it's one of those uh, ten circles of hell. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh boy! So, so it's not one that uh, gets, gets gets heard of a lot, but yeah. Right, right. That was a great song, though. There still is a great song, "Dare to Fall in Love." Well, thank you. It was yeah, kind of an yeah. odd video, but uh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the video helped, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's There's MTV a whole story days. behind that, but we won't get, we won't get into that. Yeah. That's, uh... Okay. Well, let's get into Bourgeois Tag. You and Larry yeah. decided to form a band of your own and... Yeah, I mean, it was kind of based on the fact that we were kind of uh, diverging in musically from the rest of the band, and that's what happens usually. It's, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know, bands kind of have their life span. I think you know, most people will tell you that everybody but <laughs> the Rolling Stones, you know, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
to, and and so we we uh, we were kind of getting into kind of more, uh, I, for lack of a better term, talking head style music, and um, so we did, and we uh, we got some backing, and um, we started writing songs, and we we actually moved up to Sacramento because that's where the backing was. Somebody agreed to sort of just rent us a place and pay us a salary mm. and just so that we could do nothing but write. Really? And that's how I ended up in Sacramento. Yeah. Hmm. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I mean, never, never, of course, never intending to stay here, uh-huh. but that's just the way it go. That's the way it works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Then you meet some girl and the rest of it, you know, it's yeah, over. I was about to say that. You met, you met your sweetheart there. Actually, I met her in Santa Cruz at a club. <laughs> and then hmm. only to find out uh, that she was from Sacramento and saw her, I don't know, months later or something at a club in Sacramento. She was actually finishing up her college career at UC Santa Cruz. Huh. That's right. And so, okay. but she was from Sacramento, so. Um, wow. so I guess it, uh, we weren't going anywhere for, for a while. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah. And then you were going back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's later on in the story. But, uh, yeah. That's later on in the story. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, so, so Larry and Larry, Larry uh, or, we, we were writing songs and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and we decided to, you know, it was time to put together a band and, um, you know, it, we had somewhat of a reputation around, at least enough to where, you know, there were people that wanted to play with us. Um, and so we uh, we knew this guy, Lyle Workman, who had played in a band in a club across the street from us. Like, it was one of those places that we played often. And he mm-hmm. was at this other club often. And we would go see him on breaks and they would come see us and all that kind of stuff. So we... He was the perfect guitar player for what we had in mind. And um, he agreed to join us, but he agreed to join us. He had to fulfill commitments. So for about nine months, we had, we sort of had a couple of different other guitar players, Lance, Tabor, and Henry. Mm -hmm. uh, Really? So, uh, yeah. Hank the Chank Bank was. uh, I never knew. I never uh, knew Hank was in uh, in your band. Yeah, yeah. Just it was it was brief, but yeah. Um, was this the same time and, uh, that um, was this the same time that uh, their band was going? What was the name of that band? Um, the Runners, the Zoo Dirt, the Runners. Yeah, the Runners. This was after yeah. that. The, the Runners uh, were going, you know, during Uncle Rainbow, and you know. Okay. And uh, this, I think this was post runners. Okay. And so, so anyway, we got, we got Lyle and uh, we found this young drummer named Mike Urbano Mm -hmm. around town that was uh, recommended to us. And, and, uh, and then we, we, we knew because it was that kind of music, we were going to need another keyboard player. And so we found a guy named Scott Moon. And uh, that was the group. And then we started playing local clubs, um, you know, for, and, you know, because we had had such a good reputation with 
the club scene in the whole Bay Area, it was pretty easy to get gigs. And so we just kind of picked up where the other band left off and, and only we were doing more original music. And we mm-hmm. kind of from the beginning uh, did this from, from um, you know, the point of view of getting signed. Yeah, of course. And so it it really worked. You know, in retrospect, it worked pretty, pretty textbook. Of course, this is not how it works anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, which could, you could do you could do several shows about, but um, but back in that time, you know, you made your demos and you shopped them to labels mm-hmm. and maybe shopped a manager and the manager might shop or a lawyer and whatever. And the mm-hmm. first thing we did was mm-hmm. we got management with Bill Graham management. Um, and, um, you know, and then we, we had some really good offers. Um, and the one that made the most sense to us was from Island records. And so we signed with Island records mm-hmm. and did two albums on Island. So, um, what happened to the band? Sounds like everything what happened is to working what Oh. Who's your tag? <laughs> Sounds like everything yeah. is working well, out. I mean, you got. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you'd be a fool to leave that thing after the second record, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, there's nobody that would be that stupid, would they? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, what we've, what we've kind of left out, and this is kind of a face show, right? But um, okay. is that. You know, I, uh, you know, being starting in, in, uh, you know, music, professional music as, as young as I did really kind of, um, led me to, you know, some pretty dark places. You know, I, I was a, I trying to keep up with people a lot older than me. You know, I tried Mm -hmm. to, I drink like them. I tried to try to do drugs like them. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty, um, pretty steady by the time we were uh, uh, we were done with our first record. Um, you know, I pretty much had the disease, and uh, when we were doing our second record, I, you know, I kind of through a couple of different ways, sort of saw the light and um, uh, got sober and. Started going to a church. I mean, our friend Charlie Peacock, who you're probably going to have on the show if you haven't already, um, mm-hmm. um, is uh, is really kind of led the way. He, I think, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, for me had too. A sim- had a similar story. Yeah, similar story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, going through that complete change of of mind and heart and soul and all that led me to write very different music. Um, very introspective, very, you know, kind of, you know, me centered kind of figure recovery, you know, kind of recovery music almost. Mm-hmm. And it okay. didn't really fit into a band it really wasn't band music. And I had written a lot. I had this whole, you know, whole record worth of music that 
really was not as some of it was, but but a lot of it was not band oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of thing you would say, and lyrically, it was kind of stuff you would say as a solo artist. Okay. Um, and there were another, there were a number of other things going on. I didn't particularly care the direction that the band was headed into our third album. Um, it felt like we were trying too hard to be too commercial. Um, and we were almost getting the instruments taken out of our hands in an effort mm. to be sound perfect, you know, and we were mm-hmm. a great live band. That was the thing. Mm-hmm. And, the, the instruments were kind of being taken out of our hand. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know what drives a person at that moment in time, uh, but I, I decided that I needed to be on my own. And I did. And I, um, it was a painful thing. It was a painful thing for the other guys. And it was painful. I mean, it was kind of like, what, you know, so I said, who'd be stupid enough to leave that, you know? Yeah. Uh, at that moment, and uh, it uh, it just felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I I was retained by Bill uh, Graham Management, and I got a deal with Virgin Records. Um, and and the rest of the band kind of went on to become Todd Rundgren's backup band. Yeah, and which you might want to go back to and um, this whole Todd thing, but um, yeah, because you guys, yeah, you, you had, you had worked together prior to that. That's how you met Todd, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he had produced our second record and, mm-hmm. and um, we had played a number of gigs as his band. Um, he liked the, the musicianship of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, and it's not a surprise because, because we were a lot like that. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like we were influenced by him among a lot of other people, but so our musicianship was similar to the kind of musicianship that he was accustomed to. Right. Right. Uh, or that. Did you guys seek him out as a, did you seek him out as a producer? Yes, we, we, well, we, when it came time to make our second record, we, you know, we sat in a room with our management with a list of people that was possible. And we did pretty good in our first record. So we had a better choice than some do, Mm -hmm. um, the possibilities and you know, his name just kind of jumped off the page for all of us. Like, you mean Mm -hmm. we can get him, you know, kind of thing. And, and it, and it, Yes, and the answer turned out to be yes. Cool. Um, so, and he had just come off so the XTC record. Yeah. So. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now you're on yeah. Island. No, where where are you? Where's your yeah, solo record? Yeah, that was record? Island. Version? That was Island Records. Island. Yeah, that was right. Island. Yeah. And um, yeah, and we you start. Uh, did you? Did you move this to uh, Nashville? No, I didn't move to Nashville until nineteen. No, it was was much much after that. Yeah. Um. um, So did did the Graham people? Did the Graham people consider you a a Christian music artist 
as a no. solo? Okay. Me as a solo artist? No. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. And and it was kind of funny um, in a way because because of my connection with Charlie and this, those that kind of group of people, um, you know, it, it, people in the Christian music circles, fans and stuff, thought we were a Christian band that just wasn't in the Christian music scene. And especially because our first single was called Mutual Surrender. And yeah. it it was one of those songs that could be taken like that. Uh-huh. And so there was, there was a lot of wishing going on there, but um, we were not a Christian band. I mean, not in any mm-hmm. sense of that. You and I know that word. Um, and I was not a Christian artist. Uh, I was an in recovery artist kind of more than, mm-hmm. you know, like a, huh. um, they knew that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it wasn't until the end of that, uh, I did two records. Um, and that's a long story too, but, um, uh, the, the bottom line is I, my first record did fairly well. My second record did not do well at all because the company, uh, Virgin had a, uh, decided to, uh, re open their, their charisma record, their charisma, um, label in the United States. It was a popular thing in England. And so they decided to mm-hmm. make it and they put me on there as the first artist, but they never really set it up right. And they folded it after my second album came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was pretty much the end of that. So I, wrote songs for a while for my publishing company. And then Charlie Peacock kept sending me stuff he was doing and saying, man, you should really consider coming to Nashville. You know, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff coming on, going on, you know, and you could do a record here and you could, you could produce stuff. I got more stuff I'm producing than I know what to do with, you know? And hmm. so that's kind of the way, the way that started. Cool. Well, that was, we're, we're uh, gonna... you know, we're gonna we're gonna take another okay. break here, Brent. I hate to okay. break you up right there. Um, no, don't worry. But we're gonna come back and we'll we'll continue with your travels to Nashville. Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back, folks. Hi, this is Tim Dolbear, host of Sound Experience here on Intertalk Radio. And Source Connect by Source Element is the essential tool that we use to link between my studio in Austin, Texas, and the WS radio station in San Diego. Now, with Source Connect, not only can we communicate in real time and with HD audio, but it's synced up and is of a high enough quality that I can use it for real time ADR work, remote recording, and overdubbing. And it even allows me to remotely control a DAW. Source Connect by Source Element, affordable, high quality audio and video connection over the internet for all of your production needs. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life marketing you're choking on it i'm scott robertson and when it comes to strategic pr branding and marketing i've seen it all and actually i'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps join me each week on may the best brand win right here on intertalk radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable 
Make this your vinyl night. I'm John J.R. Robinson, and every week, music creation comes alive through stories, experiences, and sounds when vinyl records filled our hearts and minds. My friends and I share our tips and techniques used in creation of iconic tracks for recording artists such as Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, Quincy Jones, and Steve Winwood, to name a few. Vinyl has emerged hot, and the soul of vinyl defines art and passion, which burns deepest at night. Tune in every Wednesday. Are you Wednesday serious about music? Pacific Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio, to sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A Train Smith. The band, the band. Band was on that. Tell us. You know who the band was? That was Steve no. Jordan on drums. Uh-huh. Uh, and oh, your old pal Randy Jackson on bass. Yeah. And yeah, uh, that's right. Courts one on guitar. Yeah, did yeah. I remember when you went to do that? Because. Uh, Something about Steve Jordan playing guitar or something. Yes, he did. He played. Yeah. In fact, he played guitar on that too. Um, he uh, he loved playing little funky kind of rhythm guitar, mm-hmm. and he uh, and he, he. In fact, that's all he wanted to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he was always carrying around a guitar, and so he finally, you know, put a wawa in front of him and. Uh, and, and had him play, and uh, and he's got a nickname on the record. It's called Foe, <laughs> and I'll leave that up Foe. to you to uh, figure out what that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Did you guys record that in L.A.? Yeah, and in fact, okay. uh, this is a very tiny piece of trivia, but I was the first and probably the last person to ever call him up and hire him exclusively to play guitar on a session. Uh, that was later <laughs> in the record when I moved, when I moved over to another, uh, I did half of it with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then half of it with David Holman and up in his place. And there was, a, there came a need for a certain kind of thing and kind of a funk guitar thing. And I actually called him and hired him to come play guitar. And he was, wow. I think that was the proudest moment of his life. Really? No. Yeah, called to play guitar. <laughs> Not really, but yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he got called. I mean, it certainly made him happy. He certainly validated him. Well, I tell you, uh, the guys at the station really love that song, man. They uh, they found yeah. out you were going to be on, and I, I sent them songs, and that one wasn't amongst the three, and it's like, what? Man, you got to play Dare to Fall in Love, man. Come on, man. I said, okay, as long yeah, as well. you don't break any laws. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. all right, Nashville. You're headed to Nashville. Yeah. To pack up the truck. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the truck and, and reluctant that. family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And reluctant family. You remember that? Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah, headed, headed to, it's like the Beverly, opposite of the Beverly Hills. Opposite direction. Yeah. Of Jethro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least to Marianne it was, right? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, Charlie had, had sort of held out this very large carrot. Um, and I didn't, uh, it was, I was at a point where it wasn't a lot going on where I was. So, mm-hmm. um, and my, you know, I had increasingly kind of gotten, uh, more kind of, uh, involved in church and, and it, you know, and, uh, the, but I, I had this view of Christian music as being much lesser than, um, which, you know, I don't, it, it probably was 90% um, reputation rather than actually knowing what I was talking about. But, um, mm-hmm. but uh, Charlie was sending me stuff that changed my, my opinion and mainly was done mm-hmm. by him, but uh, uh, it, it kind of had let me see that it was possible to do, you know, some very hip music. You know, if you kept the lyric to a certain kind of thing, you could do almost anything you wanted. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what I did. It was like, as long as the lyrics, you know, said what they were supposed to say, the music was like whatever you came up with. And mm-hmm. uh, so my, my, uh, my Christian record was really all over the place. Um, musically. Mm. Um, so he, he was true to his word. Uh, you know, I came to Nashville and he, we went around and, and I had a couple of different offers. Um, I think it was sort of a thing where, you know, you, it was, it was kind of cool at that moment in time to catch a kind of a, a secular pop artist that, you know, became a Christian and do a record. That Mm. was kind of a cool thing. Um, and so, I ended up with Reunion Records, and the it's produced by co-produced by Charlie and Wayne Kirkpatrick, mm-hmm. uh, and um, but the other thing was that he was he was right on about was that there was a lot of production work, um, and I really my heart was was very much into production, and wanted to do that you know almost as much or if not as much as being an artist. And I kind of went to Nashville with the idea that whichever road, uh, that when that road forked, whichever road was bearing more fruit, that's the one I would go down. Mm -hmm. And and so in the end, it really was the producing. Um, Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it more. I mean, I didn't feel like, 
you know, I, I, it was always a bit of a stretch to be on, to be a performer for me. Um, but I loved producing. I loved being in the studio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. so I ended up doing, and you're good producing. at it. You, well, and you're, you're, you're um, very good but at in, it. you know, you, you and I though, uh, one of the, one of the kind of turning points for me was when I was asked to be Michael W. Smith's uh, music director after I'd written a couple of songs with him that were pretty popular. And, mm-hmm. and you, you were on that tour. Yes. Thanks to you. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Thanks to you. Cause, cause I had been rejected earlier. Uh, you didn't, I didn't know that, but you didn't know that. Oh yeah. No. Um, for the, uh, I think it was, I think I can say this. It was for the, the album before, uh, I'll bring you home. Oh yeah. No, that was the one we did. Yeah. I'll leave you home. Yeah. I'll leave, I'll leave yeah, you home. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you home. We're not while we see bitter, the world. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll, I'll take pictures. Honest, I will. Uh, yeah. I'll, but, uh, that's funny. But it, it's the, um, uh, go West young man. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's uh, it. Yeah. I, I kind of, kind of tried I to get that. Guys. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, thanks to you. I got on that tour, man. And it was probably the best touring situation I've ever been in. Well, you can't beat that plane, but anyway. You can't um, beat that. I was just about to say that. <laughs> Especially um, those quick ride homes. Yeah. 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 That was, that was a taste. So, um, so um, you started, you started producing and, and um, you started producing a lot and then you became yeah. an A&R guy. Yes. That was a shock. Because um, I was amongst those people in Nashville that kind of a snot-nosed um, kind of musicians. We were Christians and all, but we were we'd sit there and make fun of the Christian record companies for being so mm-hmm. backward and square, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. behind the times and all this stuff. And then one day, I produced uh, Cindy Morgan for a Word. And one day, uh, Lauren Bauman called me and basically said, I'm paraphrasing, but okay, smart guy. Uh, you think you're so smart? Come in here and fix this thing. You know, mm. um, you, you know, it's not as easy as you think. Um, <laughs> and so he asked me to be the vice president of A&R. And I was like, are you kidding me? I, I actually said this to him. Are you kidding me? I hate what you guys do. <laughs> um, <laughs> And he said, to his ultimate credit, well, we do too. Oh, wow. I just that saw Lauren not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've seen him quite often. Yes. Yeah. I, I, we've had some, some business to do. And yes, I'm, I'm well aware of what's going on with him. But uh, so he, uh, he brought me in kind of to shake it up and to try to put some more modern touches into it against a lot of resistance. Mm -hmm. And there always was a lot of resistance 
mm-hmm. and it was always kind of a uh, Sisyphean, however you might say that, pushing the rock uphill. Um, oh, Sisyphus. Saying, uh, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was always sort of, you know, on the one hand, we want you to be bold and take risks and do things you shouldn't do. And then the other hand, you're going to get you, you're going to get your hands slapped for doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dang. And I did. So, um, yeah. So, um, but it was um, fun. I, I, I got to tell you, that was a, that was a, a really fun time because it was a moment where I was the vice president of a and record company. I was writing music for people for, mm-hmm. uh, for, whatever I was still producing, I was allowed to produce. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it was very, um, it was just a very uh, fertile, creative time. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, until the bottom fell out of the music industry. Um, Yeah. And then you upped and left us here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, (laughs) you know, there was only so much time you could sit in your garden. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, With so, a wife okay, that hated so you, Nashville, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So then you go back so, to, uh, you went back to Sacramento, right? Yeah, her mom was uh, was was becoming ill. Uh, her dad had kind of gone through a whole illness and died while we were in Nashville. That didn't help mm-hmm. things. So right. when her mom was taken ill, um, and we were, the music, you know, the music industry had, had just completely dried up. And I had, I resigned from word, um, right before I think they fired everybody. Um, mm. and, um, and so, and basically sat around for the better part of a year waiting for the phone to ring and it never did. I mean, um, mm. just for producing and stuff. I think yeah. once you, I think that there was really something to be said for once you, got inside the building like that and you were one of them, then it was mm-hmm. hard to get back. It was like, now I was one of them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So in any event, there wasn't a lot of work to be had at that moment in the music industry. And so, um, yeah, I always promised Marianne that I would bring her back if she wanted to go. Never thinking mm-hmm. she would actually want to go, but <laughs> she did. And so we did. Uh, we came back to Sacramento. That was 2002. Mm-hmm. And how does uh, how do things uh, transpire and uh, progress to where you are now? Well, Since you've been back in Sacramento, I mean, I, I I needed I needed work, and so I I got a job at the old church that we all went to. I was the became the worship leader of the church, kind of the music director and all. Um, mm-hmm. and did that for several years until I moved to another church, um, and was the worship leader at that church for several years. And mm-hmm. I, in the meantime, I wrote several books. I pretty much thought that my professional musical career was over, um, except for a few odd things, you know, local odd things that I would do. Um, mm-hmm. but really I always thought when I moved from Nashville, I thought I was going to spend half my time in Nashville. And I told Marianne that. And, uh, but the business being what it was at that moment, uh, you know, again, the phone didn't ring and I was out of sight and out of mind. And I just, it never worked out like that. 
Um, mm. And so really, after several years, I mean, it was felt like it was pretty much over. Um, you know, um, and, uh, you know, that's partially my fault. I mean, I was, I, my mindset was over. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't well, until, uh, Michael Blanton, well, uh, I saw Michael Blanton at a, at a an event in Dallas and he started dreaming dreams and talking about this new thing that he was doing and, you know, and asked me if I wanted to have a part in it. And, and that kind of woke up a whole lot of stuff and uh, well, hey, got man. me back into it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're going to have to stop there. And uh, hopefully okay. you can come back and finish this story. But, no, uh, it's I can't. Been a... You're going to you're gonna have to buy the book. <laughs> but it's been a great hour with you. And uh, I hope you can do another one with me soon, like next Tuesday. This is Jackie Bertoni from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al DiMiola, Michael McDonald, and Al Jarreau, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be your music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie'sGroove.com. Ready to get your groove on? Hi, this is Tim Dolbear from Eclectica Studios. I'm a full-time mixing and recording engineer. I work with Grammy winners, labels, and indie artists using state-of-the-art digital mixing and restoration tools and the very best in analog gear. Really, though, it's my ability to bring tracks to life and fulfill your vision for your music. This has made me sought after by producers and artists worldwide. So spend your time working on music and not chasing a mix down a rabbit hole. Go to timdolbear.com and check out our free one song mix offer you know what's all around you every waking moment of your life marketing you're choking on it i'm scott robertson and when it comes to strategic pr branding and marketing i've seen it all and actually i'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps join me each week on may the best brand win right here on inner talk radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com.